You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Thank you. Hey, listen, this is what we're going to do this morning. Again, we're going to take a little time and uh, talk to you just about things that we've, we've prayed about, things that we feel will give uh, some encouragement, some affirmation, some direction as we go through this year as a community. And I just want to say again, uh, I know Annette and I are so thankful for being part, getting to be part of this community and watching what God does in and through you around the community in this church has been, uh, at times it's overwhelming to see how this works. One of the traditions that we have in our own family is, uh, and it started started a long time ago with my mom and dad. My mom and dad used to pray for each one of us kids. And then at the beginning of the year, they would give us a word that would help guide us through that year. It was, a, it was inspiring. It, was, it gave us direction. And uh, what's happened is they've passed that down on to Annette and I. Uh, we pass that same tradition down to our children and our children's children. And so when we are sharing with you this morning. Some of you may be familiar with this. This is the first thing that we do when we get together as a family uh, for Christmas. We gather together. Annette and I previously have prayed. We've sought God's Holy Spirit for each one of our kids. And uh, it's a specific word for them. And those words then we hang on the Christmas tree along with the other ornaments. And so when that time comes on Christmas Eve when we gather together, the very first thing we do is we take those, I take those words off the tree and go to each one of my kids and look each one of them in the eye and tell them what God's speaking to them. I usually start with the, the youngest and work my way up to, to the oldest and we just hang out together. It's, it's a dedicated period of time that I know our kids look forward to. Um, even our younger ones look forward to the time that you know, grandpa's just going to share a word with them. It usually has a statement attached to it with a word that follows. And uh, I know for our kids, that's just been an encouraging part of our Christmas celebration. We did that last year, if you remember, the same period, the same time. Uh, we took some words and we shared them with you last year. Strategic generosity was one. Uh, having a circumcised heart. Righteous rearrangements. And then we had new wine and keep rowing hard. Those were the, the five words that the Lord gave us to share with you last year. And so uh, the word, when we talk about the word in scripture, just to have a little bit of understanding, the Bible has two applications when it talks about the word. So the word word has two meanings to it. It has the word logos, which is the general word of God. Uh, it's Jesus, the word in the flesh. Remember John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So it's the logos word. But then there's another word for word. It's the word rhema. The word rhema means a particular word that God gives you by his Holy Spirit. It's inspired by God's spirit for you for that moment in time, for whatever you're going through, whatever those circumstances might be. It's the rhema word of God. And so this morning... What we're going to do is we're going to share the rhema word of God submitted to the logos. The logos is the word of God. And we always want to follow the word of God. And we have words that God gives us. We're going to share some of those words this morning. Annette's going to start with the words that, that she's going to share that God's given her. And then I will have a few words to share with you as well. Well, the word that the Lord um, gave us, one of the words is being an imparter of his grace. Mm -hmm. 
And in Ephesians 2, it says, For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for it. This is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you've done, so none of us can boast about it. It's so interesting because Paul, in his writings, uses grace over a hundred times. He actually says the word grace over a hundred times in, in his writings in the word. And the other interesting thing is, is Jesus never actually used the word grace. He just demonstrated it. Story after story, and we could tell so many this morning, but how he touched the untouchable how he loved the unlovable, how he knelt, and he presented a shield of grace to the woman who was caught in adultery. He sat and he imparted grace to the Samaritan woman at the well. There's so many times that he demonstrated grace to us. Imparting grace was not just teaching it, but with his actions. And then literally with his life on the cross. This amazing grace. We've heard that, and it's one of those things that grace is a word that we've heard so many times. We've, um, if, especially if you've been in a church community, um, but even in the secular wor world, we hear grace. But grace is so much, there's so much weight to that. And, um, and there's nothing normal about it. There's nothing average about God's amazing grace. It's astonishing, really. Undeserved, and yet we've experienced it over and over in our lives. Um, it says in Ephesians that we were, when we were dead in sin is when God started loving us. He did not wait until we were lovable. He loved us even when we were dead in our offenses, violations, our immoralities. We could not provide anything lovable to him, and his grace was extended to us. God touches us, and then he heals us with his grace. God will never stop dealing with us, never, ever. <clears throat> it says in Ephesians also, it's his incredible wealth of his grace, the incredible wealth of his grace. So it is with grace that God has so much grace. It's everything that you would ever need, ever want. It will never, ever run out. One way to see the greatness of the grace of God is to see how he practically begs us to receive it. You know, if we give a gift to somebody and they refuse it, we're likely to be, okay, you don't take it and leave them alone. That's not the way God is. God does not do that. Even when we refuse his mercy, he reaches into his storehouse of grace, his treasury of grace, and he persists that we take it. There are seemingly impossible situations in our life that often leave us hanging with our mistakes, 
our insecurities, our resentments, but no sin or bitterness is too deep for God's grace to, to transform our lives. We are called to be imparters of his grace. John 1 says, from his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. Until you have experienced grace, you don't really understand grace. But the good thing about that today in this room and those who are listening online, all of us have experienced grace. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be listening. We have experienced grace. And every one of us are partakers of grace. We've been rescued. We've been restored. We've been forgiven. It's simply not possible without the grace that was poured out on the cross. So how do we become imparters of his grace? I've certainly been a recipient of his grace. I have received grace. So now how do I impart grace? You know, it was about six weeks ago that Ron and I began communicating and collectively beginning, began putting these words together of what we believe that God was wanting us to share today. An imparter of grace. And wouldn't you know it, <laughs> I get to um, be tested on that. You know, grace is a bridge to what has been divided. Grace is a salve to the wounded. Grace is freedom to the bound of heart. I want you to take a moment and you can add what grace is to you and how grace rescued you and the grace you need in the situation that you're facing right now. You know, whether it's with your spouse, your ex-spouse, <laughs> your kids, your grandchildren, your employer, the people that you work next to, your neighbors, and certainly the grace that we need that I need for my confused, hurt, and sometimes very angry heart. It's not easy to receive grace and we know what, when we know what we have done. But I think it's going to be, well, if I'm going to be honest, it's much harder to give grace when someone has done something to us. I like the idea of grace, um, but now I'm asked to give grace. Now... Now grace isn't so amazing to me. <laughs> Impart grace. I don't want to let it go because then it feels like someone is getting away with something. I don't want to let it go. I don't want to impart grace. You owe me. You owe me an apology. You at least owe me an explanation. So, you know, to be really honest... We have experienced that. You may be experiencing that now. We've experienced that hurtful conversation that's full of unfair accusations, judgments, disrespect. You fill in the words. You know what you've experienced. And you've molded over. You've played replay a hundred times in your head. And the more you do, the angrier you get. Now... 
it might just be me, but you know, I think you, you know what I'm talking about. It's not easy to give grace. It hurts too much. <sighs> but then the Holy Spirit. <laughs> then the Holy Spirit. You know, one minute, you know, you're um, like Peter in John chapter 13 where he's telling Jesus, I'm going to go where you go. I'm going to do what you do. I'll even die for you. And then you get hurt. And then you're like Thomas in John chapter 14 that says, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> in part of grace, I have no idea. No comprende. I don't get it. You know, the text that you want to write, the retorts you want to say, the defense you want to give, the posts that you want to make. And the Holy Spirit restrains you. He has restrained me. It's not easy. The Holy Spirit doesn't just make you dance and speak in tongues. He also makes you shut up, apologize, and examine yourself. All those things are necessary as imparters of his grace. Ah, I didn't say it was going to be easy. <laughs> Ephesians 4 says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ Jesus, has forgiven you. Let's be real here. Receiving grace and imparting grace takes more than I humanly have. Remember, it's amazing grace. There is nothing normal or average about it, and it's a process. 2 Corinthians 13 says, The amazing grace of the Master, Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We keep drawing our resources from the Holy Spirit. In John 14, it says, I, And I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. We have to lean in. We have to allow it. It's not easy to be an imparter of his grace. The other word that I want to share this morning is light bearer. In John 8, it talks about how Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you have light that leads to life. So how do we become light bearers? How do we become better light bearers? One is be a partaker of his grace. It will change the way your light shines. When you allow the Holy Spirit, God's grace, to come in and take away that shame, that guilt, that anger, the hurt, allowing that to happen. You know, I've made a mistake at times where I have bought light bulbs that weren't the ones I wanted. And I don't know if you've done this, but I've bought in the cool light. 
and then there's also the warm light. And I've taken those and I've put them up in the kitchen or wherever there's a light bulb that's been burned out. And if it's a cool one, oh my gosh, it's like, that's abrasive. <laughs> and, and what I really wanted was that warm light. And I think those cool lights, and I actually Googled it, the cool lights are used for places of activity, for work, for energy, and then the warm lights are for in invitation. And I thought about that. You know, when we aren't partakers of his grace and we're working for his grace, then we can come off maybe a little too strong. I know we do. I know I have. And yet, if I am a partaker of his grace, when I really understand what I have been forgiven of, then my light is warm. It's inviting. Galatians 5 says, for you were called to freedom. And I get free when I'm a partaker of his grace. And then the other way that we become a light bearer is to be an imparter of his grace. You can't have one without the other. I was, you know, thinking these two words were completely different, but they're not. <laughs> you have to be an imparter of God's grace. You have to give grace to be a light bearer. Galatians 5 says, for you were called to freedom. If you don't impart grace, then you're being held. You're being held, even though it's very difficult, but to realize that you're being held and how you're freed when you're an imparter of his grace. John 13 says, so now I'm going to give you a new commandment. Love one another, just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You are my light bearer, so love one another. You know, we have to pay attention to those people that are in our vicinity, those people that, not just in here, it's easy, you know, maybe, well, I don't know if it's easier. Um, <laughs> I take that back. <laughs> but um, Often we think of the love that we give to each other, even though this is what Jesus is saying in John 13, um, that we do have to love because the world is watching us. How are we, how are we dealing with, the, with imparting grace to one another? The world's watching. But, but also, we're not just in here. We're out there. And so who is in your vicinity? Who, who is reaching out to you? We often live in this tyranny of urgency, and it's really false. And I, at least it is in my life when I step back and look because I don't have to answer every text at the moment. I don't have to answer every email or every ding on my phone. I don't have to do that, but we're trapped in this tyranny of urgency to where we don't have the capacity, we don't feel like we have the capacity to do what he's asking us to do and calling us to do as light bearers. How many times I have actually said just recently, I don't have the capacity. And I've talked about boundaries and margins in our lives. And, and those are all very, very necessary. And the reason they're the most necessary in our life so that we can have the capacity to have the eyes for the one. Who, who is there? Who's that one in your life? 
you know, there was a woman reaching out to Jesus. And it says that this woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, she was not going to be unnoticed. She needed to be seen. And Jesus saw the one, even in a crowd, even in the busyness, but the capacity that he gives us to see the one. Uh, there's an artist, his name is Devin Rodriguez, and he draws portraits of unsuspecting strangers on the New York City subway. And he gives them to the people that he has drawn. And he says this, I wasn't charging them a dollar. Instead, the purpose of the random act of kindness was to connect with people. And what he realized, what he began to experience was the emotional response. He started doing this at the beginning of the pandemic when people were isolated and, and you know, were afraid and all, all these other things. And so you can see by the pictures this response to being seen. <laughs> he, was, he was showing people that he saw them. There's something powerful about being seen. There was a comment on um, when I was reading the article from this woman, and her comment was, I'm crying. Devin Rodriguez must be a highly evolved soul. <laughs> and I thought about that. We can be highly evolved souls as well. <laughs> we have to rec recognize that our smile speaks volumes. Our kindness is balm. Your life is lived as an example. You know, it could be as easy as giving up a parking spot, letting someone go in front of you at the grocery store, holding the door open. There's so many ways. And you know what? It may not change their life, but it's going to change yours. Mm -hmm. It's going to change yours. You're going to become a highly evolved soul. So I want to finish with these two words, um, with the simple prayer that we can pray and I'm not going to even ask you to bow your heads, but would you just agree in your heart? Um, Jesus, give me eyes for the one. Let me see people the way you see people. Amen. 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 Thank you, Annette. Did you notice something happened here when uh, she was sharing? Uh, I started to squirm a little bit because um, it, it, it affects me. <laughs> but then you notice when she said, it's easier in this room. And she said, no, I take that back. She looked at me, folks. She was looking <laughs> right at me when she did that. So you're all easy. It's the guy sitting next to her that's not so easy. Uh, but to hear those words, really to know that we are imparters of his grace, that we are torchbearers. And those words really do go together. The Lord's given us two more words, and these two words go together as well. And the word that I want to share with you, the first word that I want to share with you, has everything to do with who we are in Jesus Christ. In fact, the word is identity restored. Identity restored. I want you to hear that word. I want that to, to just sink in for a little bit. And here's what I mean. Satan's attack on the identity of believers today, especially on our youth, is diabolical. He's on a rampage, and you can see it, and you can feel it. You see, if the enemy can chip away at who God says you are in Jesus Christ, he's chipping away at your very core. He's chipping away at the image of God that you've been created to be. He says, in my image, we were created. We, all of us were created. 
And I see this strategic attack of the enemy going after individuals, going after the body of Christ, making us in some ways believe that we're something else. We're not something else. We are Jesus followers. That is our priority. That's who we are. God has called us to be followers of Jesus Christ. And listen, if the enemy can get a hold of your identity, he can take you where he wants to go with you. So why does he do that? Because our identity in Jesus, again, is the core of who we are. If the enemy can steal the essence of who God has made you to be, he steals the image of God in us. You see, there is something very holy and sacred about following Jesus Christ and bearing his image. We are image bearers of Jesus Christ. And I think after the last few years that the Lord's saying to me, I know to me for sure, our identity needs some work. Our identity needs to be restored because of all the other things that we might have thought we were and maybe we still think we are. So how does the devil do this? How does he come in and, and lead us in another direction. Well, it's the way that he's always done it. He lies. He tells you lies. He disrupts our God-given identity with lies. In Genesis chapter 3, remember what he said to Adam and Eve, hath God really said. See, what he was doing immediately, he was going after the imprint of God on their own life. He was going after their, their soul. He was coming after that. He was trying to disrupt that. His lies aren't blatant. They're not blatant lies. They are bended truths. And this is where, this is where we need to have a heightened sense of awareness of God's Holy Spirit giving us the direction that we need every single day, even for the one that we come in contact with that the Lord is asking us to speak to or share with. We need to be imparters of his grace. We need to be light bearers. We need to have our identity found in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. That identity God is up to, he wants to heal that in us. Mm -hmm. He wants to take the brokenness and he wants to heal it. Listen, the enemy knows that when you treat a lie like it's the truth, it behaves in your life just like the truth. What we're talking about here is the foundation. It's the grounds of spiritual warfare. That's what we're talking about. And never before uh, have I felt this engaged with praying and spiritual warfare and what God is up to because the only way that our identity in Jesus Christ is going to be whole, the only way that it is going to be restored is through spiritual warfare. Do you know what's at stake every time there is a spiritual battle? What's fought over when you think about it? It's your identity. It's who you are in Jesus Christ. Just think about the questions the enemy may bring your way or the temptations he may bring your way. He's coming after who you are in Jesus Christ. Paul always repeated who he was in Jesus Christ. By the way, he would repeat over and over, I'm a bond slave of Jesus Christ. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. He wanted everyone to know that he was following Jesus Christ and his identity was found in Jesus Christ. When you go back to Genesis chapter 3, if you think about what's happening there, the, 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 the one that was perpetuating the lie, we know it was Satan, disguised as a snake, a serpent. I've thought about that a few times and I realized that if you have a garden, snakes are not that unusual. <laughs> There's snakes in the garden. We don't like them, but... But they're there for a reason. We see snakes in the garden. 
A snake belongs in the garden. The devil always shows up looking like he belongs. Always. He always shows up like he is wanting to make sense. Hath God said. Every lie of the enemy is an attack on the image of God in you. Think about the things that have been repeated by the enemy over and over again. And again, especially targeting our young people. Are, you are worthless. Addressing their value. Their value even in this life and family. Their place in our society, in our homes and relationships. There's another one that, that I've heard. And that is God made a mistake when he made you. Questioning their their, their very gender and who they are. God made a mistake. Or how about this? You're not enough. See, all of this is designed to bring shame into our lives and to tear down the identity that we have with Jesus Christ, the relationship that we have with Jesus. Today, there are many voices that are telling us who we should be. Our school system is telling our children who they should be. Our society is telling people who they should be. Our politics are telling us who we should be. What is God's response to all of this? The only way that I can communicate this to you is that he's jealous for you. He's jealous to have a relationship with you. He's jealous for you to listen to him and take your cues on who you are from him not from society, not from the schools, not from our politics, but from him, who you are in Jesus Christ. It is fundamental today, but we're having to circle back and talk about this. And by the way, we're going to do a series in this in September, and you know who else is going to do this with us? Our children are going to go through one year of who they are in Jesus Christ. They have to know who they are in Jesus Christ. That's what will stand up. That's what will repel the temptations, the statements, the words of the enemy. God is jealous for you. Listen to what 1 Peter chapter 2 says about who we are. But you're not like that, meaning the world, these other places, these other places that want to inform us. For you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. God's very possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, imparters of his grace. For he called you out of the darkness into the wonderful light, bearers of light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. You see, God is up to something right now. He's wanting to restore those areas that are broken in us that have to do with our identity in Jesus Christ. There's another word, a fourth word that we want to talk about that's connected to the word identity. It's about disrupting the lies of the enemy. Mm -hmm. See, we're not helpless. We're not stranded in this world. We're not stranded in our relationships. He's given us weapons. He's given us tools to use in combating the enemy that comes against us, the lies of the enemy. Even more, this is about taking back what the enemy has taken. Mm -hmm. 
Have you felt like in the last few years you might have been robbed of something? Something internal? Sometimes I look at my own heart and I wonder, I used to be nicer than I am today. I used to be softer than I am today. I used to be kinder than I am today. Lord, this is all of who you want me to be. Would you restore that in me? I need to take back the ground that either I gave up or was taken, but I need to take it back. Either way, I got to take it back. So the word that God has given us connected to identity is stand fast. In scripture, stand fast doesn't mean just to hold your ground. It means that, but it also means take ground. Take ground. Go after what has been taken. And the weapon, our weapon is prayer. And that's, that's what I want to encourage today. Our weapon is prayer. The kind of prayer that I'm talking about goes after a particular target. Listen to this. These are lie-seeking prayer missiles. That's what we're talking about. See, the picture I've had in my mind praying for this time together is that very picture that the enemy sends off a lie bomb and he wants it to hit one of our kids or he wants it to hit our marriage or he wants it to hit, hit us individually speaking to us a lie that you're not worth anything, that you're a, you're a mistake. All of those things that the enemy drops like bombs on us. Listen, we've been given this weapon called prayer missiles and you go right after that and you intersect that that lie of the enemy, you have been given a weapon to intersect the lies of the enemy, mm -hmm. to deflect them, to destroy them, to ruin them. Now listen to what Paul says to us in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. He says, he says a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand Fast, stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Listen, you fire these prayer missiles every time the enemy drops a lie bomb that is aimed at your children or your children's children. Can you say amen to that? Yeah. You're going to hear it reflected in the way that they are speaking. You're going to see it reflected in the way that they're going about life and the way that they're reasoning. You're going to see it. And that is the moment you intersect that with a prayer missile that destroys the works of the enemy. Any plan that the enemy has for your children to ride, rob them of their identity in Jesus Christ, go after it. Don't reason with it. Don't hesitate. Don't even think about it. Go after it. A lie bomb that is meant to question their identity in Jesus, their worth, their sexuality, their salvation. Mm -hmm. This is the core of what the enemy's going after. He's not fooling around with this stuff anymore. He's going right for the heart. 2 Corinthians, Paul says this in chapter 10. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God, knowing who they are in Jesus Christ. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Jesus Christ. 
God is calling us to be obedient, to respond to what we see going on around us, not in the ways that we could imagine in the areas of reasoning or false arguments or vain imagination. We're to go after this spiritually in Jesus' name. And one of the things that I'm going to add to this that I'm going to pray that you go after is that you go after the spirit of disobedience. Because much of what we deal with today, our own brokenness, our own heartache, is because of our own disobedience. And that we go after that in our own lives and we look for that and we pray against the spirit of disobedience, against the spirit of rebellion. Because that's the very spirit that existed in the garden. And we say, Lord, we are going to intersect us and we pray in Jesus' name. This has no place in my heart. This has no place in my family, my church, or my community. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Stand fast. Stand firm. Take back the crown. Don't be afraid. God's given it to you. And he's given you weapons that will fight the enemy. We're going to do this. We're going to follow up our time together in worship and taking communion and then we'll have prayer teams available as well. But I want you, when you, when you do this, I, I don't try to give you a whole lot of what to do when we take communion. But today, I want to encourage you to remember something. When you take communion today, when you take the bread that represents the body of Jesus Christ, when you take the blood that represents the blood of Jesus and that forgiveness of sin, would you know that it's a powerful weapon we've been given? Jesus says, remember me, remember, do this as often as you can do this. Why? Because we need to remember that our life is to be a life of victory. Our life is to be a life of overcoming. This is what we've been called to do. And so when we take this cup today, would you remember that you have been given authority in Jesus' name? That you've been given influence in Jesus' name? In Jesus' name, this is what we do. We can pray in Jesus' name. I disrupt and I destroy the enemy's plan for me, for my family, for my friends, for my community. You each have someone today or some ones today that you're praying for, the prodigals. You're praying for family members and friends, maybe who are going through this season of heartache and brokenness, who might even be wandering in their faith. Would you bring their name to your lips when you share communion today? That when you take the body and the blood, what represents the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, would you say their name? Say the name of that child. And say, it's under the blood of Jesus Christ. Say the name of that family member. It's under the blood of Jesus Christ. Speak the name of the enemy. The enemy that's come against you. False accusations. Those different things that are said. The lies that might be said. Bring that under the blood of Jesus. You've been given authority to speak this way in Jesus' name. Use the authority that God has given you today. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.